Happy Sabbath. I'm glad to be with you here. And more than anything, what a privilege that we come in God's presence. If you go to church because it's the right thing to do, probably you should stay home. If you go to church to worship God, then you should go. Unless we realize that we come in God's presence, what's the point? When you pray, unless you worship God, stop praying. When you study the Bible, if you do it as a duty, stop studying. You should pray, you should study the Bible, but it's all for one purpose. To know God, to get closer to God. If you do it just because it's the right thing to do, just a routine, it's not going to help. That's the reason we come to church. We come to be in God's presence because only He can transform us. We cannot do it. We talked a little about commitment. We talked about prayer. And uh, if you want, if you didn't, if you are not here, you should go online and listen to the presentations. But it's so easy and wonderful to experience a miracle. Am I right? To get an answer to your prayer. And it takes faith, people say, to experience a miracle, to have a story. Well, let me tell you, it may take faith to experience God's presence or a story or a miracle, but it takes a lot more faith not to experience a miracle. It takes faith to get an answer, help, a blessing, but it takes a lot more faith not to get it. Put your, yourself in Job's situation. How would you react? We pray for two, three months. If we don't get an answer, we get discouraged. Why doesn't God answer my prayer? And that way it seems that we are looking more for answers than for God. And we don't know him enough to understand. Basically, if he gave Jesus his son, how will he not also give us all things in Jesus? Amen. And so, let me talk a little about non or unanswered prayers. We believe that God answers every honest prayer. There is a quotation that says to every honest prayer, an answer will come. But then she continues saying that it is a mistake to believe that God should answer the way we want in the time we want. And then in a different place it says if we knew the end from the beginning, we would choose the same path, the same answer. So basically God does answer. In fact, Jesus says that whatever you ask in my name according to my will, it will be given to you. Am I right? And then in different places, Jesus says, whenever two or three of you get together, you remember? That word, together. Whenever two or three get the togetherness. Two or three get together and pray. Uh, he says, I will be there with you. What a promise. If we would just realize it and believe it. Moreover, he says, Whenever two or three pray in one accord, that togetherness and the unity of purpose, pray in one accord. If you remember in the morning, in, at noon, I talked to you about the children coming to Norway when we were in school there. You remember? The students of the school got together and prayed in one accord. Unity of purpose. That gives power. Plus it brings unity in the team. Anyway, Jesus promised that. But then what do you do when you get together and pray for a month, for two, for three, and you don't get an answer? What do you do? Did it ever happen to you that you pray and you didn't get an answer? And sometimes people say pray more. I do agree with you. But what if God doesn't want to answer that way? Because sometimes we pray more in a tendency to make God a servant. Basically we tell him what to do. And we say if you have faith, he must work. As faith would force God to work. 
Faith is not to manipulate God to do what you say. Faith is to manipulate you to accept what he does. When you don't understand. We even use fasting as a hunger strike. When you fast, God must answer. (laughs) Fasting is not that God should hear your voice. Fasting is that you clear your mind to hear his voice. And so, what if God doesn't answer? Let me start with this statement. Listen carefully. Most of the time, prayer in the Bible, an answer to prayer in the Bible, is not an event, it is a process. Did you hear what I said? You will understand right away. And so, think about it. It's easy to say, Abraham was a man of faith and a man of prayer. How long did it take him to get an answer to prayer, to get a son? 25 years! How many of us have the patience to wait 25 years? How long did it take for Moses to deliver his people? Because he said, I'm going to do it in his power. And God said, no, 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 that's not the way I work. And God sent him in the wilderness behind the sheep. How long did it take for that prayer to be answered? 40? Isn't that a little too long? How long did it take Noah to see finally the flood? I mean, he worked to that nonsense ark. There was never rain before. Why would I spend my time, my energy, and my life to build a nonsense ark? How long did it take him to finally see the answer? 120 years? It seems to me that we are a little in hurry to receive answers to prayer. I mean, I do know a quick answer to prayer. Daniel, only three weeks, he says, you remember? Angel Gabriel says, when you started to pray, I started to work, but it took 21 days because I had to fight the kings of Persians and the Medes. You you remember? 21 days. But I want you to think about the statement. When you started to pray, I started to work. As long as you keep praying, because God has to work with people. That's more difficult than to work with my dogs. Trust me. (laughs) My dogs do obey me. Well, Gucci doesn't too much. He obeys only my wife. When I talk, he moves his tail and he keeps going. He doesn't care. He knows that I only hug him and kiss him. But even animals obey better than people. Think about the ark. God told the animals to come two by two or seven by seven, and they obeyed. And God told people to come, and they didn't. Hello? Isn't that strange? And so God has to work with people. People are stubborn. And therefore it takes him time. Plus God gives better answers than we pray. Therefore, prayer to answer. uh, Answer to prayer. Man, English. Answer to prayer (laughs) is a process. And as long as you keep praying, God keeps working. But do not expect that he always answers the way you want in the time you want. If you were God, if you knew his mind, if you knew the big picture, if you knew all the details, if you knew the future, you would not answer your own prayer the way you prayed. You follow me? And so let's talk about that. I'm going to give you an example. And I don't talk about that. I talked to my good friend uh, who is at the Romanian church and I told him a little of this story. I don't like to tell the story because it's extremely personal and emotional and is something that I don't talk about. My father was a good friend. My father was not only a father for me. He was a close friend. We talked everything. And he would say to me, even if you do something wrong, what I don't agree with, I want you to know, I would always not only forgive you and love you, but help you to fix it because I love you. You come to me and you messed it up and you'll fix it together. And he did, always, he did. 
I knew, I knew I could count on him. And so my father was a man of prayer and he experienced so many stories, so many stories. I could talk forever just about his stories, how many stories he told us. I mean, every evening when we would sit down and eat together, he would tell us a story how God worked in his life, how God transformed his life, how God did this and that and that. So many stories. I mean, I remember some of them. I remember, for instance, one night... We had a pile of Bibles in the house, and he got a phone call in the middle of the night. Mr. Goya, take the Bibles out now. He says, who is there? Deed. Until today, we never knew who called. The telephone didn't show any uh, number, any, you follow me? And my father got up, he said, honey, we need to get the Bibles out now. Who called? I don't know. Do you recognize the voice? No. The number? No. Do no. I don't know who. They put the Bibles, transported them outside the city to countryside to my grandpa and my grandma, came back. As soon as they turned up the light to get in bed, the police came and searched the house. We, know, we don't know until today who called. Maybe an angel. We don't know. God knows. But so many stories. And I knew God is going to protect my father because he's a dedicated man. As if you are dedicated, it gives you rights. You follow me? And my father would say to me, John the Baptist was beheaded, and he was the greatest among apostles. You remember what Jesus says about... Okay, Paul, he wrote the most letters of the Bible, and he was beheaded. Peter was crucified. James was killed. So many martyrs were killed. Who do you think you are, or me? We are not better than the others. Stop focusing on self. Stop thinking about self, he would say. And he says, the way you should pray, not God solve my problem, God protect me. But say, Lord, if this would honor you and serve your work, yes, protect me. But if it doesn't, please do not protect me because I am not important. You are. You shall increase, I shall decrease. That was the way he prayed. Well, one time, one time, they called him as many other times. And every time God intervened and protect him, they called him to the police station. And he came back home next morning. He says, they didn't interrogate me, didn't scream at me, didn't threaten me. They said, we told you so many times to stop bringing Bibles and spreading them throughout the country. You don't listen. We have to do something about it. And they put him in a room and left him in the room. And in the morning, two guys came dressed in white and they opened the door and said, you are free to go home. And that's it. He came home. A week or two later, we took him to the doctor. The doctor said, you have lymphatic leukemia. You have been irradiated. And your spine stopped working. You have been exposed to radiation. We have no proof. We have no proof that they did that. But it was a common habit for people that were known in the city not to kill them, to execute them, because they didn't want to make a big deal to make them martyrs, to just terminate them quietly. We don't know. We have no proof if they did it or not. And he just got sick somehow. But the doctor said, you've been most likely exposed to radiation because everything shows like you are irradiated. And the doctor gave him three months. He lived about six months more. He did all type of juices and carrot juice and celery juice and this juice and that juice. And we prayed like never before. We even fasted. We even had faith. If you have faith, God is going to answer, hello. And still God didn't intervene. And I remember when my father was dying, I got with my mom and my sisters next to his bed. And I said, God can do it. Why doesn't he do it? 
And my father was calm and he says, absolutely he can do it. But he said, remember son, it's not about me or you. It's about God. So stop focusing on self and stop worshiping self. And he said, I, I, I prayed, Lord, please heal my father. Please, I know. Oh, please, please, please. And he said, stop it. He already heard you first time. You prayed 99 times too many times. <laughs> you follow me? He said, you need to be able to say, may your will be done. And to mean it. And to let his will be done. And then he said, you see, in the church, not too many people work. So many people go to church, but they are spectators. I bring Bibles, I do this, I do that. And he said, quote, sometimes nothing would grow under a big tree. So you have to cut the big trees, the big trees so the small ones would grow. So he said, it's better for me to go so the others would start developing. And, and he, I said, let's pray again. Let's, let's fast another day. <clears throat> and he said, no, that's enough. Let me pray. And he prayed for mom, and he prayed for my sisters, and he prayed for me. And then he said, for me, it's easy. It's going to be a second to resurrection, and I'm going to see Jesus face to face. And he started to sing face to face with Christ my Savior. And then he said, for me, it's easy. It's a privilege to die for my Savior. He said, I am worried for you, because you look so much to self instead of fixing your eyes on Jesus. That's the reason you stress. Hello? Why do you stress? Do you, do you, do you get it? He said, you look so much to self, to your needs, to your problems. To your <laughs> That's the reason you stress. Stop focusing on self. Keep your eyes. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look him in his wonderful face. And all the other things are going to grow strangely dim. You follow me? And he said, Lord, I'm not praying for my life. And then he said, he said, it's a privilege for me to die. But he said, Lord, I am praying for my family, for my church, for this city, and so on and so forth. And he prayed for the others. Mom was crying, and he finished the prayer, and he said, Honey, I know my Redeemer. I know him. And he said, I want you to put on that stone. I'm going to see him eye to eye. Amen. And he closed his eyes, and that, that was it. I was so angry with God. Why didn't he answer my prayer? Because what we expect, we expect God to do what we ask him to do. Yeah. <laughs> As we are gods. You follow me? Yeah. And we don't submit and allow God to be God and we to be the servants. And we don't mean it when we say, may your will be done. I mean, Jesus himself said, take the cup away from me. And God said, no, you'll drink the cup. And Jesus said, may your will be done. And Jesus accepted the Father's will. <laughs> Think about it. Maybe Joseph did pray in the beginning, Lord, save me from this prison. And God didn't answer. What if God would have answered? He would have never fulfilled, fulfilled his plan with Joseph. Am I right? I'm not going to continue with my father. I can tell you for sure. There were even people in, my, in our family that did not have anything to do with church. When they came to funeral, they turned around and got baptized. I'm not going to continue on that term. But I'm going to give you another example. My wife and I, and I'm not going to go through those details, it's a long story. It's a long story. My wife and I used to have a business. We had many businesses, maybe about six, more or less, not important. But the last one we had was quite profitable. Quite profitable. 
when the salary was a poor salary, regular worker, 1,500-600 a month, and a better salary, 2,500 a month, and a good salary, 3,000 a month in Romanian money, my father made roughly, I mean my father, what is wrong with me now? My wife and I, in our business, uh, we made roughly about 50 to 70,000 a day. I remember the day when I came home with about only 30,000 and my wife shook her head and said, what's wrong with you to bring so little money today? <laughs> she said, I don't recognize you. I mean, a new Romanian car, a new car was 70,000. We could make a car every day. And people would work in Romania during communism a life and still not have a car. You follow me? And we, we had connections and we had friends and I would eat with the mayor and with the chief of police. I was friends with them. I was friends with the prime minister, literally. And I, I don't go in those stories. If you want, you can read the book, you know. But anyway, and when you have that life, it's easy to tell the story, oh, give it up. But I tell you, it's not so easy to give it up. Try to give up your one month salary. See if it's easy. <laughs> it's not easy to give up a 50,000 a day. You understand? And we gave it up when God called us to ministry and dropped from 50,000 a day to 2,000 a month. <laughs> I don't need to explain too much, huh? And, 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 and then here I am praying for school. I want to be educated in order to be a good pastor. Praying for school. And I send applications to New Board, to Cologne, to Friedensau, to Bogenhofen, to the all seminaries in Europe. And I get no answer whatsoever. And we put our car for sale because we go to school, we go to the seminary. And we had a nice car, quite expensive, quite. People would gather around the car and they look, oh, you know, it was a nice car. And so uh, we put our car for sale. Nobody called. I was like, come on, this is a nice car. And then I went to a market in a city called Arad. It was a market only for cars, hundreds of cars for sale. And people would come like an auction, you know. And people came around the car, and my car would always start in a fraction of a you. It's nice. And so people came, can you start it? <laughs> Nothing. I tried again. It has never happened before. <laughs> Nothing. And they shook their head and they left. After they left, I tried. <laughs> I said, come back, come back, come back. They came back. <laughs> I got so angry when they left. I got out and I started to kick the wheel. And my wife says, calm down. You are a pastor. Calm down. I had so much. Why would not start? I want to sell it. And I said, let's pray. And my wife says, what do you want to pray for? To sell the car. She says, did you ask God if he wants you to sell the car? I said, well, I want to sell the car. She said, but you don't, you don't listen. Did you ask God if you should pray? Because Romans says that we don't even know how to pray. In Greek, what to ask. And the Holy Spirit has to inspire you what to ask. Because what you ask may not be what God wants you to ask. And I said, but I want to sell the car. And I prayed, Lord, help me sell the car. And then I tried, the car started, I called them back. They didn't even come back. Other people came, it will not start. I got so angry, I said, I don't go to school, I'll never sell the car, I don't even want to pray anymore. That's what we do when God doesn't seem to answer. And I went home, and I gave up school, and I forgot about school, and I moved on, and six months later I didn't even think about school. 
And very strange, when you want something, you don't get it. When you give it up, when you surrender it, that's when you get it. Very strange. So I forgot about school. And then, one day, somebody knocks in the door. I open the door, he says, I am from Timișoara. Well, I was in Oțelul Roșu, that's the Red Steel, that's the name of the city. And he comes from 120, 30 kilometers away from a big city. I mean, you talk about half million, one million, I don't know the number, I could Google it. Big city. He says, I am so-and-so, I came to buy the car. I said, what car? Your car. I said, what car? And he tells me, I said, it's not for sale. <laughs> He says, well, it was for sale six months ago. Yeah, six months ago. <laughs> I said, how do you know about the car? Well, my wife was starting the fire in the fireplace with old newspapers. And she saw the car and she liked the color. <laughs> they like the color. Whatever. And she liked the color and she said, go and get this car, I like it. He says, I want to buy the car. I said, it's not for sale. Six months ago, I want you to go to school. I gave up. I'm not going to school, so I'm not selling the car. He left. After he left, we get a phone call from Germany. One of our relatives says, did you ever think about selling the car? I said, no, I'm not selling the car. Well, you know, that's an expensive car. When it breaks, it's expensive to fix it in Romania. You don't find parts. Sell the car, get the car that you find parts. I'm not selling the car, buy. And then I get a phone call from America. Who is there? Lauren. Who is Lauren? Your friend 13 years ago from university, from church. Oh, I don't remember. He says, well, my wife and I have been praying. We want to invite you to come to school, to seminary. I said, how do you know that I want to go to school? We don't, do you? Yes. <laughs> I says, I'm not coming. In America, people shoot each other on the streets. I'm, I'm not coming. And it's absolutely impossible to get a visa. I'm not coming. He says, did you pray about it? No, but I'm not coming. He says, pray about it. And my wife says, honey, what if God sent that man to buy the car because we go? And I said, well, if it's God's will, how do we get in touch with this man? We don't know his name. We don't know his address. We don't know his telephone. We don't know who he is from a big, gigantic city. It's like you talk about, I don't know, Chicago. How do you know somebody that you saw one time and you don't even know the name? So we kneel down and pray, Lord, if you want us to go, you need to send him back. He knocks in the door. <laughs> he says, my wife sent me back. I'm going to give you 500 more. <laughs> give me the car. I said, okay, 500 more. Take, take the car. <laughs> Next day, the morning devotional. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you. And then the mail comes at noon. And in the mail, it's a letter from Southern Adventist University. You have been accepted in the seminary, in the theology program. And then at the bottom of the letter, Jeremiah 29, same day, same promise. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you. It's not your plan. You pray for this plan and God says, no, that's the plan. You follow me? So stop pushing God. And so we sold the car. I went to the embassy, long story. There were... The line, I got there, we got there, my wife and I, at 3 a.m., and the line went around the block, around the block. And I was number 960-something in line. <laughs> Imagine how many people ahead of me. 
and I was watching when I got inside. You paid about $120 to get inside, only to get inside. And that was the salary for about a month and a half. And so I was watching at the window, people would go on negative, next, negative, next. And as long as I was watching there, no one got the visa. Wow. And we didn't want to go to America because we didn't know English. And we didn't have anybody here and we didn't have money. I no longer had a business, I was a pastor. And to start life all over again is not easy. You may think it's easy. Move somewhere, I don't know, to Africa or somewhere. Move, see if you are willing to start life all over again. Do you think it's easy? I mean, when we came to Southern, I knew zero English, and people would talk to me, and because I didn't understand, they would get into my mouth and talk louder, as if they scream, I understand better English. <laughs> I felt so offended, so humiliated, because I used to be somebody, and now I was nobody. They would drive to school, I would walk to school, like the disciples, I would walk because I had no car. You understand? I had no food, we had no furniture, we slept on the floor. Literally, we ate on the floor, I learned on the floor. We had no furniture. We had no food. We had like three, four, five days going without food. For me, that's the end of the world. <laughs> when you go five days, when you eat every four hours and then go five days without food, my wife can fast 21 days, three weeks. I can fast four hours. <laughs> so it was tough. And I never told anybody because I always gave. I never accepted to receive. Anyway, so going back, I got to the window and the guy, negative, negative. He would not give visa to anybody. I got to the window. He says, where do you want to go? I said, duh. This is not French embassy. It's American embassy. Obviously to America. <laughs> and he says, why do you go? I go to school. He says, I'm not going to give you visa. I said, praise the Lord. <laughs> and I turned around and left. He says, don't you beg? Everybody says, please give me visa, please. Don't you beg? I said, no, I actually don't want to go to America. <laughs> he says, what are you doing in the embassy if you don't want to go? Well, I don't want to be Jonah. He said, what? Well, Jonah, God sent him somewhere and he didn't want to go and he opposed God. And I don't want to fight God, but I really don't want to go to America. And I came, but in my heart, I really hope that you don't give me visa. So I did my part, Lord. I went to the embassy. They didn't give me visa, sorry. <laughs> So I said, I don't want to be Jonas, so please don't give me visa. And he said, but you paid $120 to enter. Why would you spend that money? I said, just because I don't want to oppose God's plan. And he said, so you don't want a visa? No. Okay. We reject you. Praise the Lord. Bye. And he says, but why do you go? I said, I told you before, I go to school. Why don't you go here to school? Because our school is not accredited. He says, you go there for money. I said, buddy, I had so much money that I could really make a dress for you only from money, you know. I could swim in money. I had so much money. I gave them up because God called me to ministry. Can you prove it? Absolutely. We had a booklet that was Cartea de Munca, the, the book of work, that by law, every time you were somewhere, they recorded the salaries, the place, when you left, where you went, why did they fire you or did you move? And he said, I want to see it. I showed it to him. He looks to the salaries. You gave up this money to be a pastor? Yes. You are crazy. I said, I know. <laughs> and then he says, so you want there, you go there not for money, you want to be trained to be a good pastor? Yes. He says, you know, I'm going to give you visa but alone without your family. I said, not going to happen. I don't separate families. I said, not going to happen. Either everybody or nobody. He says, I cannot do that. Can you promise you come back? No. What if God says stay there? 
I cannot promise, but I cannot give you visa. But I don't want visa. Please just put negative. <laughs> Let me go. He says, I don't know. I think I should, I should, I should give you visa for the whole family. I said, please no. <laughs> he says, do you have the money to pay visa 450 for everybody? I said, yes. I sold the car yesterday. <laughs> he gave us visa. I came out. My wife says, you got visa. I told you to do whatever you can not to get visa. <laughs> And then we purchased to the ref leftover money, the plane tickets for all four of us, and we had $140 left over. $140. Our friends, relatives, neighbors came all, you have a nice washer and dryer. Can I have it? Because you go to the promised land, to America. You can, can I have your TV? Can I have your couch? Can I? When we left, the whole house was literally empty, not even closed. We gave everything. We came here the way we were dressed, nothing else. And my friend, who called me, said, I have a business. If you come, I will sponsor you. I will pay your tuition. I will pay your apartment. God has blessed me. I have a big business. I will sponsor you. He came to Southern. He paid one month tuition. Very good guy. Godly man. He paid one month rent, one month tuition. And he said, I come next week. I got to go to Buffalo, New York because I just built a hotel there. After I finish and get the money for the hotel, I come back and I'm going to pay the whole year. In front of the hotel, he had a cardiac arrest. His heart stopped. He was dead for seven minutes. They brought him back with electric shocks. He lost his memory. He was in hospital several months. He lost his business. He lost his truck. He lost his boat. He lost everything. And here we are, my wife and I, in a new country. We know zero English. I knew yes, no, bye, hi. That's, we know no English, we have no insurance, no food, no car, no clothing, nothing, no work permit, nothing. Why would God do that? Why did I ever ask? Why would God do that? Well, let me tell you, we prayed, Lord, we want to go back, give us money for trip because I am not going to ask anybody for money. No, God didn't give us money to go back. Lord, give us food. It didn't happen. Lord, help us with tuition. It didn't happen. And we prayed and cried and prayed until I got allergies from head to toes. I was all spat with allergies and I could not hold the pencil. My hands were so swollen from the allergies, the swelling that I could not touch my fingers. Went to the doctors. They gave me a bunch of prednisone and this and that. And they said, there is nothing we can do. It's stress. And so when you pray and God doesn't answer and you are in a new country and you don't know anybody and you don't know English and you don't have food and you don't have insurance and you don't have work permit and you don't have money and you are in an apartment and you get a letter from the housing that they are going to evict you because you didn't pay and you get a letter from the school they are going to expel you because you didn't pay and you, you follow me? And then you get a letter from the electricity. They are going to turn off your electricity because you didn't pay. And then you didn't eat for five days. And you have allergies. What do you do? I mean, I've been fasting five days regardless if I wanted to fast or not. <laughs> I've been praying like crazy and crying. And God didn't seem to answer. What do you do when you pray and God doesn't answer? You see, we all want miracles, we all want blessings, we all want answers. But for God to use you, He needs to break you. Because we humans, without realizing, are used to be selfish, self-centered. All we do, we do for us. We go to work for us, we eat for us, we get dressed for us. We, whatever we do, we do for self. Very rarely we do something for somebody else. You follow me? Yeah. We are very selfish, very proud, very stubborn. You understand what I mean? Yeah. And God cannot use this type of people. 
And we want to be transformed. Lord, change me. But we don't want to allow him to change us. Because when he, when he starts changing us, the surgery is extremely painful. He has to use this and that and that to teach you patience, to teach you humility, to teach you humbleness, to teach you dependence, to teach you faith. For instance, you say, Lord, give me patience. And God sends your boss and your boss makes your life miserable. And you say, Lord, solve the problem with my boss. And God says, didn't you pray for patience? How would you learn patience if nobody ever bothers you? Basically, we want to grow, but we don't want to go through any type of school. You follow me? We just want instantly. We go to sleep, and during sleep we are transformed, and when we wake up, we are holy. <laughs> that doesn't happen that way. You don't become a doctor without going to the medical school. You don't become an engineer without going to... You follow me? How do you grow in your relationship with Christ without going to a certain school? Look in the Bible. People of faith, they all have been through the school. Didn't Joseph? Didn't Daniel? Didn't Moses or Abraham? They all have been through trials. We talk about them, but we don't like their trials. Think about Paul. Think about... Choose any of them. We want to have their experience, but we don't want to have their trials. You follow me? If you really want to grow, you need to trust God when he doesn't seem to answer your prayer. And you need to say, Lord, if you allow it, I need to remember that all things work together. If you allow it, it means I need it. So please don't solve it. Rather, help me to grow and to learn the lesson that you want me to learn. And use me. Use me, Lord. And so, as long as I prayed for 11 months that God would intervene, nothing happened. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I fasted, and I got tired, and I got angry, and I stopped praying. Did you ever stop praying because you are angry with God? Yes. I stopped praying. I didn't want to pray. I would go to sleep, keep my eyes open, and argue. Why would you do that? Did I ever ask you to come here? Why would you do that? Do you like to torture me? I was arguing. I don't like to talk about that because it's pretty tough. And eventually, eventually, I started to kind of break down. You get to the point when you hit the bottom, that you just give up. You say, I don't care if I live or die. I, I, I'm tired fighting. And I, you know, when you experience that type of humility that you don't humble yourself, but you are humbled by what happens to you. Basically, whew, I would go to school. I never used a computer before. And in the class, everybody was typing like this. And I was like, where is A? Where is the space bar? You understand? And they would start laughing. Oh, man, I used to be somebody. I would get stomach pain and feel like, you know, but then calm down. But my stomach was boiling, you know. And I would go home crying. I'm not going back to school. I hate school. And then I would get on my knees and pray. And you know, I started to learn literally on my knees. By the bed, I would read the one word and pray and go to the dictionary, translate it, and then pray again, say, Lord, help me learn this crazy language because they don't read the way they write. <laughs> they have more exceptions than rules. And then read another word, go to the dictionary. It would take me four hours to read one page. And pray over it, Lord, help me to learn this language so I can make it. Amen. And I would pray, and no food, and no sleep, and allergies. You, you, you understand the picture? Yeah. And then one night, I said, Lord, I just give up. I stopped fighting. 
If you want me to die, I'm ready to die. If you want me to kill me, do whatever you want, I don't care anymore. I'm going to stop fighting, do whatever you want. I put myself and my family, and it was not me alone, we had two small children. I put myself and my family and our children in your hands, do whatever you want, I give you permission. And I just stopped fighting, I could not anymore, I was tired. And I remember, I went to school next day, and I went in the garden of prayer in front of the religion department. It was a big trunk and some background music. And I put my head on that trunk and I started to cry. I was crying like never in my life. I was breaking. And I was crying and sobbing. And somebody came and hit me on the back. Young man, why are you crying? I got straight, cleaned my eyes. I said, I never cry. <laughs> It was a few months into being here. Allergy lasted 11 months, but it, this was before the 11 months. It was about three, four months. I don't remember, not important. A few months, so I already started to know some English. I talked more with my hands than my mouth, but anyway, I knew some English. And I said, I never cry. What you see here, it's allergy. <laughs> he said, you are too proud to acknowledge. You are crying. And I kept quiet. And he said, well, if God brought you here, God will take care of you. I said, yeah, easy for you. <laughs> I said, I will pray for you. I said, yeah, everybody says that. I don't know how many do it. <laughs> I had an attitude, you know. And he left. I went to the classroom, and then I went back home. That Sabbath, I went to church. Dr. Ed Wright, in that time, he was the Southern Adventist University church pastor, the senior pastor. And he started the sermon with Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you. And my wife took my hand. And she says, this sermon is for you and for me. Listen carefully. And then he said, God called Moses. And when Moses wanted to do God's work, God said, you are not good for it. And God had to break him. And then when Moses said, I am good for nothing, that's when God said, now you are ready. And the pastor said, when God finally said, you are ready, after breaking him 40 years, because he was stubborn, he thought he was wise, he thought he was prepared, he thought he was educated, he thought he was somebody. And as long as he was somebody, he was nobody. And when finally he became nobody, then God said, now you are somebody. Amen. And the pastor said, God called Moses. And at this time, Moses was already broken. And he said, Lord, I don't even know how to speak. My wife looks to me and she says, that's what you say all the time. I don't know this English. <laughs> and the pastor said, and God said to Moses, who made the tongue? And Moses said, God, I have nothing. I am poor. I have only this rod. And my wife says to me, that's what you say. We have nothing. We used to be rich. And the pastor said, and God said to Moses, I have the resources. And if I go with you, I will provide everything you need. You just need to trust me. Amen. And the pastor said, you need to learn never to trust self. But always to trust God. You need to die to self. Unless a grain would die, it will never produce any fruit. If you don't produce fruit, it's because you are alive. When you die, then you'll produce fruit. Amen. Cannot be you and Jesus alive. One of you has to die. And if you are alive, it means Jesus is dead in you. It's only a theory. And the pastor says, sometimes God has to break us in order to save us and to use us. My wife and I looked to each other and we got our answers. Why didn't God answer our prayer? Because it was better for us not to get an answer. You follow me? Yes. 
because I used to be arrogant, I used to be stubborn, it was always my way, nobody argued with me, they got fired if they argued with me in my business. <laughs> That's the way you do it, guys. Okay, nobody dared to say differently. You follow me? I was stubborn, I got whatever I wanted in all my life, never lost any competition, anything, anything I put in my mind, I did it. And I knew I can do whatever I want. Not really. <laughs> And then I learned that I'm nobody. I had connections, then I had nobody. I knew how to talk, I didn't know how to talk. I knew how to do things, I didn't know anything. You follow me? I had a nice car, no car. You, you understand everything the other way around. I used to say people that don't have money, they are either lazy or they don't have a brain. <laughs> well, I learned that I was not lazy and I did have a brain and still didn't have money. <laughs> and so after the pastor finished speaking, I had tears in my eyes. At the door, I shook his head, hand and I said, thank you for this profound message. Amen. I left. Thursday night, somebody knocks in the door. I opened the door, Pastor Wright. I said, oops. <laughs> he has so many thousand members, he comes to a student. I mean, who knows every student? I am a new student, I am nobody. He says, can I come in? I said, yes. I said, sit down. And he looks around, no chairs. <laughs> I said, I meant it down. <laughs> he sat on the floor, I sat on the floor, you know, like Turkish people, you know. And he, he sat down, I sat down. He says, when you said thank you for the sermon, I started to dig around. And I called the school and talked to Dr. Blanco. And he did some digging. And he learned that your sponsor had a cardiac arrest. And we talked about it. And we made a decision. He's going to pay your tuition and the church is going to pay your apartment and your insurance for one year. If you finish school in one year, great. If not, none of our business. And we, as soon as you get a B, we stop paying. You need to get straight A's. Long story. I'm not going to go through it. By God's grace, I finished the bachelor in one year. Straight A's, not a B. And they said, wow, you did it in one year. Let's make another deal. We are going to pay your masters one year straight A's. So deal. <laughs> Do you want me to continue to tell you what happened? <laughs> and then my wife and I looked back. As long as we wanted help and your somebody, help didn't come. And God didn't answer our prayer. When we fully surrendered and allowed him to break us and to lead us and to use us, when we were willing to learn the lessons regardless how painful, not that we were willing actually, but we had no choice. <laughs> Then God finally started to work. It's not easy. It's not so easy. Listen carefully. It's not so easy to go to the lesson. It's easy to talk about it. Oh, it's so easy now to tell the story. When I was in the army, when I was in Southern, when I was in Andrews, it's easy to tell the story. But when you go through the story, not easy. And that's when God works. When you think that he doesn't, that's when he does the most important work in your character. And that's when we ask him not to do it. Would you please solve this problem? That's not a problem. That's God working on you. You follow me? We need to know him enough to the degree that we trust him in the midst of the trials. Amen. Trials are not pleasant. I don't like them. I'm not crazy. I hate trials. And oh, I like trials. No, I don't. <laughs> they are not fun. 
But we are never alone. Jesus says, when you go, the Bible says, when you go through what? It doesn't say if. It says when. You will go. It's a matter of time. When you go through waters, I will be with you. You are never alone. I have inscribed you on my palms. Even if the mountains move, my love will never move from you. I know you by name. I love you. Even if a mother will forget her children, I will never forget you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I love you. And yet, we pray, and if he doesn't answer, he say, why doesn't God answer? Instead of letting God work, because the way he works, it has a long-term response. We have a horse vision, you know. Some horses have those things left and right of the eye, and that's all they see. We don't see the big picture. Let God work, because he sees the big picture. Amen. There is a bigger picture than what we see. We are very limited. We see one inch from our nose, that's it. We need to know our God enough to trust him when we don't understand. It's easy to trust him. It's like Jericho. God told them, walk around the city every day one time, seven days, seven times, and then blow the trumpet and shout of victory. They were supposed to shout before the walls came down. It's easy to shout after the walls come down. But God wants you to shout before the walls come down. In the midst of your crisis to say, I am with Jesus, I am not alone. Therefore, rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice even in your trials. Rejoice because you are never alone. Amen. If God allowed it, trust in him. Amen. If you really want to be transformed and to be used. Otherwise, God will never be able to use you. If you always want God to solve your problems. That was Job. When his wife says, give up God. He says, well, we knew how to receive the blessings, but we don't know how to receive. You follow me, the trials. I don't worship God for blessings. I worship God because I love him. Amen. If my son would call me only for money, that's no relationship. I want him to call me because he loves me. Not just for blessing. Help me, bless me, give me. You follow me? And so... By the way, we, we, we had a sermon tonight and we, we really stayed at the title. <laughs> we did a, we, we, I gave you two stories instead of giving the sermon. L literally, God wants us to have a relationship with him. He desires to be close to us. He desires to talk to us. He desires to live in us. And that's religion. God wants us to have such a close relationship with him that we know him and we trust in him. I remember I was in Wisconsin at Cascade Mountain. It's not Colorado. Black Diamond is only Bunny Hill. It's not Black Diamond. But anyway, and my kids, Dad, let's go on Black Diamond skiing. I said, no, I don't want to break my legs. I'm going to go on that Bunny Hill, you know. And they said, chicken. I said, that's okay. You can hold me whatever you wish. I'm not going there. And I went on the little slope, you know, and then I got at a table in front of a restaurant and I got a chamomile and peppermint tea with lemon and honey. And I was enjoying my hot tea and watching the kids come like crazy, jump and do this. And, you know, I said, you can break a leg, not me. <laughs> and while I'm watching the kids, there are three guys and one in the middle with round eye, round glasses, black, with a paper here that in the beginning I could not see what it says, but later I could see blind skier. And they were screaming, 
Step away, blind skier, step away, blind skier. And then they say, right, 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 left, straight, a little left, straight, straight, right, straight, straight. And they, uh, they are kidding. <laughs> Who does that? Are you crazy? And they got down and they came to my table. And I go to him and I do this. I said, you can see a little. He says, nope. Yeah, with the shadows, nope. I was born blind, I don't see anything. Total darkness, I don't see a thing. I said, are you crazy? What's wrong with you to go on the black diamond? You wanna die? He says, these guys, we grew up together. They are my best friends and they are ski instructors. I trust them with my life. And it came to me, we don't trust God. And yet people trust friends. And we say, oh, we love Jesus. As soon as we face a trial, we struggle. Our faith shakes. We don't trust our God. It's easier. It takes a lot less faith to experience an answer to prayer and a miracle. It takes a lot more faith not to experience a miracle. You follow me? Anyway, that was not the subject for tonight. The subject for tonight was absolute commitment when you give your life to Jesus to the degree that he can do whatever he wants with you he, you say you know what today every day today I surrender my life if you want me to live I live if you want me to die I die if you want me to give up my job I give up if you want me to give up my life my family my time my money whatever you want today I give myself to you and then you present yourself you present your family you present your time your plans your energy and you say lead me and then you Stay connected. You remain connected. It says there, Enoch walked with God. You remember the sentence? Or Abraham walked with God. Or Moses walked with God. If you go in the book of the Sire of Ages, also in the Acts of the Apostles, she has a statement. She says, these people walked with God, comma, they're continually aware of his presence, continually connected. So what does it mean to walk with God? To be continually in his presence, continually connected. You follow me? So you, you surrender yourself and then you walk with God through the day. You remain connected. Remember Daniel prayed how many times a day? Three times. Well, well, well. But they didn't need to mention that you pray three times a day because everybody prayed in the morning at the afternoon sacrifice and in the evening, the evening sacrifice. Everybody prayed as a rule. And nobody mentioned that they prayed. It implies there in Hebrew that he prayed three more times than the regular everybody's prayer time. So I did try that. And I, I put my cell phone to ring, to vibrate. Every three hours, at 6 a.m., at 9 a.m., at 12, at 3 p.m., at 6 p.m., at 9 p.m., to, 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 to vibrate in my pocket. And every time when, besides my early devotional and prayer in the morning and study, every three hours on the phone would vibrate, I would drop everything, not take another two hours prayer or whatever, but take a few seconds and like a oasis, I would reconnect, Lord, I have a tendency to get busy and to forget about you. Help me stay connected. Amen. Because you are the vine, I am the branch. Connected, I produce fruit. Disconnected, I am zero. And after doing that for a few days, I started to get used to learn to stay connected. You follow me? 
And so you surrender your life in the morning, and then you stay connected. And you say, well, God didn't talk. Don't look for a voice. God doesn't talk the way we talk. We talk because we like to hear our own voices. We talk for the, same of, for the sake of talking, like politicians. We say a lot and say nothing. God talks when there is a job for you to do. And if you make yourself available, when there is a need, he's going to talk to you. And you will hear. And if you are in the habit to pray and study and think and stay connected, when God talks, you'll hear. And when you do that, then God can work. And as you daily commit your life to him, he will start growing you and you'll start experiencing him. And the more you experience him, the more you know him and the more you trust him. And he's going to give you this experience. And as you obey him in faith, your ex when you see how he works, your experience grows. And then he's going to give you this. And as you follow him, he's going to increase your walk with him. And he's going to get closer and closer and closer to you as you learn to daily surrender and follow his plans. And by surrendering daily, you are going to experience God like never before. Well, we think that religion is what we do. But religion is God in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. To stay connected, that's religion. And if God is in you, you will obey him. When God lives in you, you will not do whatever you want. You do whatever he wants. Now, now, our time passed two minutes. I want you to start the sermon, probably tomorrow or never, anyway. Um, I want you to, to talk a little about commitment. You see, what it says here, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And now I live by faith, by faith in him. That's what I talked about. How many times have you read this Bible verse? A hundred times? A thousand times? But we need to live it. We don't need just to read it. We need to live it. We need to apply it. We need to daily sacrifice ourselves. To daily allow us to die. Because as long as we are alive, God will never manage to change us or to save us or to use us. Nothing good will happen. The reason we struggle in our spiritual walk is because we refuse to die daily. And the more we struggle to live, the more we die spiritually. And only when we allow him to live, he loves us with a love that we will never even in eternity understand a drop of it. We will always do like angels, wow, worthy is the lamb. Whoa! Hallelujah! What is? We'll always be amazed of His wisdom and love. And if we we'll just experience it and accept to surrender and to die to self and allow Him to work, you will never be sorry. You is not that you lose. You are just afraid that you lose. But when you finally decide to be willing to lose, you discover that that just then you actually accomplish something. For instance, Abraham thought he's gonna, he, he was going to lose his son. But he didn't lose his son. You follow me? And God said, no need for you to sacrifice your son. I will sacrifice mine so yours can live. But he had to be willing to sacrifice his son for God to be able to work for him. Anyway, our time is up. I'm sorry, I did not manage to go through the presentation. I want you to remember the rich 
young ruler comes to Jesus and says, Lord, I'm a good Adventist. I go to church, I eat tofu, I keep Sabbath, I keep the commandments, I do everything the way you said. And Jesus says, this is wonderful. It's good. You should do this and not let the others undone. It's wonderful. You should go to church. You should eat broccoli. You should do this. You should keep Sabbath. You should. Jesus says, it's wonderful, but it's not enough. You need to sell everything. He said, what? You need to give up everything. You need to give up everything. Well, oh Lord, come on. I could, I could give a donation and send it to Cuba, you know. I could <laughs> give a little more to the church. No, you need to give up everything. Everything, Lord, my family, yes. My life, yes. My health, my house, my salary, my every, everything. I'm sorry, I cannot do that, Lord. That's what we do. We just don't say it. But that's what we do. Why do we do that? It's because we don't trust God that he will take care of us. We are afraid to trust in him. Let me read the quotation and we finish. I'm not going to, I had another four stories. We don't have time for stories. <laughs> Let me read the quotation. Many who profess to be Christ followers have an anxious, troubled heart because they are afraid to trust God. They don't make a complete surrender because they shrink from the consequence of that surrender. Hello? They are afraid to surrender. What's going to happen to me? Unless they make this full surrender, they will never find peace. Ministry of Healing, page 480. Christians that say, oh, I trust Jesus. Yet, practically, they are afraid to trust in Him. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus. You will experience that sweetness only and only. You will experience that blessing and that growth and victory and power and peace only and only when you agree to die to self. And that's what doesn't happen in our society. Everybody expects the other one to die. You follow me? And God calls us to be different. God calls us to be like Jesus. And that's not going to happen before we agree to fully surrender. And God is calling you tonight to make a decision and to start that exercise. It's a lifelong process. It's not a one-time deal to start that exercise, to daily surrender. You do it today, and then tomorrow you do it again. And then when a trial comes, you do it again. And the next day you do it again, and Monday and Tuesday and so on. And the more you do it, the more you are going to experience God's power and peace and presence and transformation in a way to a level that you have never experienced it before. Only then God can work in you. Only then you are going to have a story, a powerful story. And God is going to be real in your life, in your family. I'm going to invite my friend Jim to come here. And uh, please, let's, we cannot do it, but God can do it. He absolutely can do it. So ask him, Lord, I surrender today. I give you my consent, my permission. Do whatever it, I give you permission, do whatever it takes to me or to my life. I let you work. 
and I'm gonna make the decision to trust in you. By the way, trust is not a feeling. Oh, I feel I trust Jesus. You don't feel trust. Spirit prophecy says clearly, and I do have the quotation, we just don't have time, says it's a mind decision. You don't feel that you trust God. Feelings have to do with our chemistry, our moods, and not to God. Trust has to do with God's character and His promise. And you make a mind decision to trust His promise. God doesn't lie. And you don't feel it, you don't understand it, you don't deserve it, you cannot do it. But you know that He loves you and He can do it. So you say, I cannot do it, I don't know how He's going to do it, but I'm going to trust in Him. Okay, God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.